As you are getting your seats and, and uh, finishing up welcoming one another, um, let me be the third person to welcome you here this morning after Susie and Dan. Um, so welcome. Uh, if we haven't met yet, I'm JP, and I'm uh, so excited to be able to be here and hope to be able to meet you all uh, a little bit later if we haven't met already. So. Uh, it's after Easter. I hope you all had a wonderful rest of your Easter. Um, we could clap for Easter. That's a, that's a good thing to clap for. I um, hope you had a good rest of your Easter last week. I uh, hope you had a great week so far. Some of you are on spring break or kids with spring break. Some of you aren't. Regardless, we're here today. We're excited. And as Dan mentioned, this is a beautiful spring day. And so we're excited to be able to spring forward into a new sermon series. Um, and that wasn't even planned. That just happened. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I apologize. Uh, no, this morning we are starting a new series called Changing Neighborhoods. Uh, part of the idea for this series is, um, to be very honest, is the fact that Steph and I have been changing neighborhoods from Upland, California to Poway, California, which overall that's only 100 miles, so it's not the difference, but it's the little things that, um, that are a little confusing. So like changing neighborhoods, here's one of the things we had to learn. Um, in LA County and San Bernardino County, where we've lived for the past 13 years, um, all the streets run north to south and east to west. It's very easy to know where you're going. Um, if you get lost, you're never really lost because you know there's a grid and it makes sense. Here, uh, not as much. So you know, there's like three streets that have Bernardo in them nearby. Um, there's a lot of Capillas and a lot of just community. It's very confusing, um, and they're not in the grid. So if you make one wrong turn, you know you're up a hill and don't know how to get back down. Um, we also, uh, you know, we took, we, our daughter is going to Maranatha right now, and so I go from Palmerado, I turn left onto Twin Peaks. Uh, at some point that turns into Camino del Norte, and then at some point that turns into Camino del Sur, and I just, in general, name changes, it happens with streets, but it's really confusing when a street goes from Twin Peaks to Road of the North to Road of the South on the same street. It's a little, it's a little confusing, and by that time it runs east and west. I don't wanna talk about it, it's just a little, it's a little confusing here. But it's the little things too, like not knowing where to get your dry cleaning. Right, like when you're in a neighborhood that you've been at for a long time, you have your, you have your coffee shop, you have your breakfast place, you have uh, your doctors figured out, your dentist figured out, you have um, all the different details where your auto mechanic is, it's, and it's changing neighborhoods as part of this idea of, of learning what that's like and learning where recommendations are. Uh, we've relied a lot on Yelp. Does anyone here use Yelp? Anyone? Okay, awesome. So if you don't know what that is, it's just a, it's an app that helps recommend places in the area. So again, we're, we're just changing neighborhoods and it's a lot of change and trying to figure all these things out. But for us, as we're in a changing neighborhood series, obviously we're not just talking about my wife and I moving in, because that's like a really boring series that'll last like six minutes. So that's clearly not what we're gonna go through. But this idea of what does it look like to go beyond this idea of changing neighborhoods because you're, you moved and your address changed, to changing neighborhoods because we want to see how God wants to move in and through us. What does it look like to change neighborhoods because we want to have an impact in where it is that God has placed each and every one of you as families and where God has placed us as a church? And so over the next several weeks, we're gonna be going through different aspects of what it looks like in changing neighborhoods. And so before we dive into our topic this morning, which is changing neighborhoods through taking action, um, I would just ask that you would join me in a word of prayer as we dive into God's word together. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning, and we thank you for uh, the fact that we are just one church of countless churches across this world who are praising you on this Sunday, Lord. We thank you that we can just join our voice into this choir of heavenly hosts that are able to sing your praises and that our, your kingdom is far bigger than one city, one county, one state, one nation, because it's one world, Lord, that we are trying to build for you and for your glory. So, Father, I pray that in this time that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in an incredible way through us, this idea of changing neighborhoods through taking action and what that looks like for our lives. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So, for me, I, uh, I use this term played loosely. I played high school football. Um, by that, what I mean is I tried out for the freshman football team. We're at a, a college prep school that you had tryouts. Tried out for it, uh, made it. Before the first day of practice, I was playing in a park with some friends and I went to go catch a football. And as I did, I slammed my shin right into like those concrete tables that are just, you know, I don't know why they're made of concrete. It's just, it's very violent. Um, and they hurt. And I, so I got a huge cut. I had to get stitches. I ended up getting a stress fracture because as I was, you know, compensating for one leg, the other leg starts hurting. So I was out for almost the, all the games except for one. So we were, uh, our school name was Bellarmine, um, and our team came together, or our, our school came together with a very creative mascot called the Bells. We were the Bellarmine Bells, I know. Um, and we would, we drove to this school that was a little while away in our league, and it was raining all, all uh, weekend, and so the, the field was just muddy, it was, it was gross, and we were wearing like our road white uniforms. And so I'm on the sidelines, and I'm like, you know, what, what if I get in? I don't even know what to do. Like, I just showed up. And of course, I didn't get in. So I played high school football. But I was there. And I remember at the end, I'm like, this might be the only time that I'm in this uniform. So I want to get a photo of it. And so I got a photo with the starting quarterback, uh, the starting middle linebacker, and one of the def defensive linemen, I think. And we're all there together, like arms uh, in arms. And it actually looks like an ad for a Clorox commercial because they were all dirty and messy and I was like bleach white. <laughs> like I tried to get dirt and like smear it on myself just to make it look, it, it did not, it did not work. Um, and so this idea of like, I was on the sidelines and I didn't see any game action. I didn't even get close to seeing game action, which for all of us was a huge benefit, I'm sure. But this idea of, I wanted to, take action, but I wasn't prepared, I wasn't ready, and, and I wasn't equipped in order to do so. But for us, for all of us, I think if there's times that we see something that we know isn't right, something that we know isn't good, there's that stirring within us to want to take action, that stirring within us to want to do something. And when I went to, uh, I grew up in the Bay Area, so I'm a San Francisco Giants fan. I know, I'm sorry. Um, but I went to a Dodgers game um, years ago with a small group of mine in my previous church, and the, and the Dodgers were playing the Cubs. If I could have, I would have wanted both teams to lose, but that's not how baseball works. Um, and we attended there, and as we were leaving, um, we were walking to our car, and in the parking lot, we saw a man beating another man with a baseball bat. And so 
my, our group and I were like wanting to figure out like, what do we do to take action? Like, how do we help? So one of the pastors that was in my group, he was like ready to jump in and his wife was like holding him back and saying, don't go because you don't know the dangers that's involved. I called 911 and kind of gave a description and he got into the car and, and just kind of ended up leaving. And we never really knew what happened, but there was this stirring within us when we saw something that was wrong and we saw something that, that could be fixed, that there's a stirring within us to take action. And as a group, and as some of the members of the group, I, I was processing, it was like, was there more that we could have done? It, it felt like it wasn't enough. Yes, we, we, you know, we call 911 and that's, that's good. That's what we're supposed to do. But was there more? Because it felt sometimes like we were kind of just on the sidelines and we weren't able to take as much action or to help out um, as much as in that moment we felt like we could have. So for us, as we think about when we see something going on, see something that's not right or see something that's, that's broken that we could help restore, there's a stirring within us to want to take action. Now as we look at this idea of changing neighborhoods, now, we look at this and we think, you know, for some people, we just say, you know, it's easy for us to just see that maybe our neighborhoods are, are not going as well. Maybe like that old phrase, like there goes the neighborhood. And we see, oh, like it's, it's not how it once was or there's areas in which like we're seeing uh, greater disparity or greater poverty, greater struggles, greater uh, wounds, things like that. And it's, there should be a stirring within us as people who believe in redemption, as people who believe in this idea that, that something that can be broken can be made new, because we were all once broken and we have been made new, that there is a stirring within us to want to take action. Now we're going to be in Jeremiah 29 today. And, and which is page 1223, if you're in the Bible here at the church. If not, we're going to be in Jeremiah 29, reading verses 4 through 10 together. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a brief, brief synopsis of what we're coming from here. So prior to this, this is the, example, this is the story of the people who were exiled into Babylon, who were taken by the Babylonians into exile. And so we look at this and... The people, this, in 722 BC, there was um, the northern 10 tribes. They were uh, taken over by Assyria. And so then there's just the two tribes that are in Jerusalem, and they last until 587, 586 BC. And that's when the Babylonians took them over. They were exiled. And you know, we, hear, we read stories like uh, Danny, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all these different things um, that are stories that come out of this historical time frame. And so with that being said, there was a, a, a false prophet named Hananiah. In Jeremiah 28, which we're not going to read, but we're going to summarize, in Jeremiah 28, there was a, a time in which Hananiah is saying, telling the people of the Lord, listen, we're only going to be here for two years. You know, Jeremiah is trying to make it look like we're going to be here for a while, but we're only going to be here for two years. And so don't worry about it. God is going to take us back. Thus saith the Lord that in two years we'll be back in Jerusalem. At the time, Jeremiah the prophet had like a yoke over his head and was symbolizing that or using that as a visual for the idea that we're going to, they're going to be under the, the yoke of Babylon for quite some time. So in 28, Hananiah comes in and he breaks the yoke that's over Jeremiah. And Jeremiah leaves and he has his time with the Lord, but because he's the true prophet, he's actually seeking the Lord and what he's saying as opposed to Hananiah, who's, you know, if you, if you hear someone who's telling you good things that you want to hear that tickle your ears, and you hear someone who's saying negative things that are going to go really difficult, most likely the people are going to want to gravitate towards this person. But Jeremiah comes back at the end of 
Jeremiah 28 and tells Hananiah that because he's telling lies, because he's using the Lord's name as a way of, of leading the people astray, that as proof that Hananiah is a false prophet and that Jeremiah is a true prophet, Hananiah was going to die within that year. And the last verse of 28 is that, lo and behold, a few months later, Hananiah died. And so Jeremiah then is sending this letter to the people who have been exiled into Babylon. And so their temptation was to say, we're not going to get plugged in. We're not going to dive in. We're not going to uh, take action into our community because we're only going to be here for a while. But this letter is what the Lord had said to the people through Jeremiah. And we're going to read verses 4 through 10 together. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So we see that God is saying we can't just be isolated from the city, that the people who are in exile were not called to remove themselves from the city, but to move in and to allow God to move through them. And so we have a few, just straight from the passage here in Jeremiah 29, 4 through 10, a few ideas of how it is that we can truly take action in our neighborhoods and therefore change our neighborhood. So the first one we see is very basic. It's we move into the neighborhood, but that's not simply changing our address. As this talks about in verses uh, five and six, it says, build, settle, marry off your sons and daughters to one another, not to the Babylonians, right? Like that would break the idea of, of marriage being within the faith, but marry, increase, do not decrease. And so this idea of moving in and settling down, that we recognize when we've moved here, we want it to be as close to the church as possible that when, as just starting off, at least we wanted to make sure that we were in the city to be able to get to know the area, get to know the region. And so it's one of those where to begin, we want it to be close because we want, we saw the value of being part of the neighborhood that you are reaching. And you know, it's one of those where at some point if we move out of the neighborhood, that doesn't mean we don't care anymore. So don't take it that way. But it is one of those to start off. We wanted that to happen. But as we saw in verse 4, God talks about, he said, this is the letter I'm writing to those of you that I have brought into exile. It shows us the truth of the fact that God has brought each and every one of us to our specific place, to our specific neighborhood, to our specific city to have an impact, to move in, and to go beyond just changing our address to actually changing our neighborhood and making sure that we're actually committed to being a part of it, not just coming in and leaving so we can have more of an impact. So moving into our neighborhoods, building it up, settling down into it, increasing in number, these sorts of things that show that this is our home. That for us, when we came from Upland, California, moving to Poway, California, it's this is our home. This is our community. These are, you are, our people. 
And so we want to be invested in the neighborhood of the surrounding area. Number two, if number one is to move into our neighborhood beyond just moving your boxes and moving your house, but actually moving in and being impacting it. The, the second one is seeking the prosperity of our neighborhood. As it says in verse seven, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Seek the prosperity. That word prosperity is the word shalom. It's the same word as, as peace and prosperity. It's this idea of, of not just peace as in the absence of conflict. We talked about last week at Easter. But peace as in this full emotional, physical, spiritual well-being. That all is well. That there is peace amongst us. And he's saying seek the peace, the prosperity of your neighborhood. Seek that which is best for your neighborhood because in that you will prosper as well. See, God, again, isn't calling us just to move in. He didn't just call you to move in and pack, unpack your boxes and park your car in San Diego or Poway or PQ or Rancho Bernardo. He called us to actually invest and to change and to seek the good of San Diego and Poway and PQ and Rancho Bernardo and other places that I don't know all the neighborhood names yet. <laughs> but, see, this idea comes that when it'd be easy for us to want to look at neighbors and to want to look at people, that, and it's so easy for us to want to only be around people that are like us. To, to not have conflicting worldviews, to not have a, a difficult dialogue sometimes. And so it, because of that, we tend to separate or we want to remove ourselves. But in order for us to seek the betterment and the prosperity of the places in which God has brought us to, that we need to be able to have an opportunity to connect with the people that live in the neighborhoods that God has brought us to. And to be able to seek the prosperity and to listen to what the needs are of our communities. And then fulfill those needs, not in the way that, you know, only the way that we want to do it, but in a way that it allows us to see our neighbors, see the city, see other people, not as enemies because of their different sides of a culture war, but as co-laborers for the betterment of our communities and the betterment of our neighborhoods. So when I was uh, here this past week and, and talking about the series, um, Beth Riccio mentioned to me that, you know, we had this event that I think was in your guys's. Um, I uh, was in the bulletin when you guys came in, what I wish my parents knew. And from what she said, the way that that started was about 10 years or so ago that the school district was recognizing that we were, they were losing some of the students. They weren't having the same impact. That they weren't able to, to really have that kind of betterment for and the prosperity for the, the students. And so the idea was they went to different pastors, including Pastor Evan, and talked about this idea of you know, help us, help. We need the church's help in order to seek the prosperity, in order to help these students. And so they created this event that's been going for, for years now. And again, I've not been here I, yet because I just got here. But from what I've heard, I mean, there's thousands of parents and thousands of students that have been impacted by this idea of the, the city and the neighborhood coming and asking for help from the church and together being able to seek the prosperity and the betterment and the peace of our neighborhood. And so recognizing that that is such an awesome opportunity for us to hear what is needed and to meet the need with the love of Christ in a way that doesn't mean that Palmerado Christian Church gets credit, but it means that through us working that God gets glory. 
and that his name gets made high, and that it's not to our name, but to his receives the glory. And so we move into our neighborhood. We seek the prosperity of our neighborhood. Number three, we pray for our neighborhood. That's very simple and straightforward, but we pray for our neighborhood. As verse seven says, pray to the Lord for it, for your city, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Again, not necessarily financial prosperity, the idea of the betterment and the peace and the shalom of the neighborhood. So the question is, how often do you, how often do I pray for our neighbors? The question behind that question is, how many of us know our neighbors' names and what they need prayer for? If you're like me, it's easy to, you know, you pull up in your driveway, you go in, and because we haven't met a lot of our neighbors yet, it's easy just to not really see a lot of them. That we had Chuck Rubacki came and helped us with uh, some house putting up uh, curtains and things like that. When it comes to being handy, I have two left feet, which just means I can't, I'm not handy at all. And so what takes him an hour, you'll get it later on, don't worry about it. Um, when it comes to what he could do in an hour, it takes me, it would take me a week or take me a while to actually get done and it'd be frustration and he could do it really well. But with that being said, when he came, he was like, he was asking Steph, have you met some of your neighbors yet? And like, no, it's, it's been kind of quiet. We haven't had a chance to, to really meet them yet. So how can I, be praying for and investing into my neighbors if I don't know them yet. So that's a challenge to me, that's a challenge to us to get to know our neighbors, get to know who God has placed within your sphere of influence on your street that he looked down upon each and every one of us and said, you know who has the best opportunity to reach the people next to them is this person, this family, this gentleman, this woman. And he places us in our neighborhoods for such a time as this to have that kind of impact. So how often do you pray for neighbors? How often do you pray for our cities? How often do you pray for the city in which you live? That God would move in an incredible way. That, that you and that we would be cities on a hill that cannot be hidden. That be a light in a dark place that could not be placed under a bushel basket. But that our cities would have the ability to recognize who God is. And that we would be but instruments in building his kingdom. And so one encouragement slash challenge is just start making it a routine perhaps. to so just go on a prayer walk around your neighborhood. And as you are walking, praying for the homes, praying for the people that are there, you might even meet some of them or reconnect with some of them that maybe you've met prior but haven't talked to in a while. But through that, having an impact and being able to get to know our neighbors, know how to pray for them, but then to pray consistently for our neighborhoods, for our cities, for our county, for our state, for our country, for our world. So pray for our neighborhood. Number four. Reject the temptation to separate from our neighborhood. As Jeremiah is writing this letter, he's, he's, or as God is speaking to Jeremiah, I should say, it follows this idea of Hananiah saying, don't let those false prophets, those diviners, don't let them lead you astray with lies. Because I'm not calling you to be separated and removed. Because they wanted to have their own settlement. Babylon would be here. They wanted to go here and kind of have their own thing, keep their own ways and just have it be their own insulated inward community. But God says, no, we have to keep thinking outwardly. We have to keep working externally so that we can see true internal change with the people with whom we work. And so the temptation was to be able to stay outside of the culture, to stay outside of the neighborhood so that either A, some people want to, we want to isolate from the neighborhood because 
uh, we want to, we feel like the, it's going, there goes the neighborhood, like I mentioned earlier, and it's going so far down, we just, we don't want to be even close to it, and so we, we look down on it, or we say, oh gosh, I can't even imagine what's going on, this is so bad, and so we want to remove ourselves and feel like we could be in our safe community, our safe, uh, same worldview, same mindset people, and so we remove ourselves, separate ourselves, because we want to isolate the other way that sometimes people separate is the idea of not wanting to get so connected to the culture and so involved that we become like the culture that we are called to try to change. And so this idea of maybe we don't isolate, maybe our fear is that we separate because we don't want to assimilate into that culture. We don't want to allow what's going on on the other side of culture wars or whatever these things are. We, we want to be different and we don't want to be taken down through that, but the difference is, is that we're not called to separate. We're not called to isolate. We're not called to assimilate. We're called to permeate that culture by being lights within our neighborhoods, to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, to be a light that you could not hide under a bushel basket, that we are called to come into our neighborhood and illuminate who God is by being that light, to serve and get our hands dirty, not to keep our hands clean of the culture, but to get our hands dirty and in so doing, serving our neighborhood in the same way that Christ served his disciples. And he said, now that you've seen what I have done for you in John 13, now you'll be blessed if you go and do them, if you go and serve, if you go and pass this along. And so we see that it might be easy to want to separate, but we need to come in together, work together to be able to see our neighborhood changed. Now, I don't know if you know this, um, the first Thursday of every month, uh, there is um, a, a pastor's group, a pastor's prayer group that meets. And so Pastor Evan got me involved um, during my first week, I think, when I came in here. And so I got to meet them. Um, and so we met this past week, and it's one of those where it's pastors from San Diego, from Poway, from RB, from Forest Ranch, um, from all over the place come together, share about celebrations, share about things that are challenging, um, pray for one another, and it's great because there's no, you know, it's not like anyone's trying to measure attendance and see who wins. Like there's no uh, rivalry. There's only community in building up the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of any one church. And so it's this beautiful thing that we're able to do that. And one of the pastors that is there, his name is Daniel Balcombe, and he, um, his dad was a founding pastor of Living Way Church, which is off of Twin Peaks, not Camino del Norte or del Sur, on Twin Peaks um, in Poway. And he, his, his dad led the church for years. He's been there for about two or three years, I think now. But the reason I bring it up is that I've gotten to, uh, he and I have like run into each other at like Chipotle and Baskin Robbins, which... It was just great. Um, um, he and his wife have run into my wife uh, at Target. So we're just getting to know them, seeing them around town. But what's great is that if you had been a part of the um, Easter egg hunt last week, Living Way Church is a church that when they saw years ago that the Poway um, egg hunt wasn't, you know, wasn't still going, they thought about shutting it down, that Living Way Church was one of the churches. They came in and said, you know, we'll run it for you. We do want to say that it doesn't say spring egg hunt. It's Easter egg hunt because we're churches, we're a church. But they came in. And if you were there this past week, there were like 24,000 eggs. Every 30 minutes, there was a different age group. That was this huge field that just went and grabbed a bunch of eggs that Optic Youth and Dan and the students went over and they were blowing bubbles, not like at people in a mean way, but like with them, you know? Um, and they just did an awesome job being able to be a part of that. Our preschool was represented there. It's one of those where we look at this and we recognize that 
This is an opportunity for us not to separate from our community, but to see where our community is. That Living Way Church, they saw where the community was going and that they partnered with them. And then we have the opportunity to do that as a church as well. Not just Pomerado Christian Church, because I know we were doing great things like Abraxas and doing, being a part of the Breakfast Club. I know we have local community impact events. I know that there are feedings, uh, homeless feedings that happen every three months. I think there's one going on in June with a sign up down the hallway. There are things that are going on that allow us to not separate, but to permeate and illuminate God within this culture. And so for us, we want to keep going in those steps that have been laid out for us to serve, to reach out, to have an impact locally. And to see that, again, we're not planning on doing this by any means, but if for some reason Pomerado Christian Church was no longer in Poway, we would want Poway to say there is now a void because that body of believers, that group of people who love Jesus, loved our city, and there's something missing. Again, we're not planning on doing that at all, but we want to have that kind of impact and continue to have that kind of impact as we have for years previous. And so, that's the idea of rejecting the temptation to just separate from our culture. Last point is investing in our neighborhood for the long haul. Investing in our neighborhood for the long haul. That it's one of those when you feel like, oh, I'm just going to be here for, you know, 18 months, or I'm only going to be here for a year, maybe two. You don't always allow your roots to be planted fully. You're kind of always thinking about ways in which, you know, I want to get to know people, but I I don't want to get too close because that's going to be tough when we have to leave and things like that. But looking at verse 10 from Jeremiah 29, it talks about this idea that 70 years later, God says he was going to bring them back. 70 years. That's a long time to be in any one community, any one neighborhood. Most of us will not have 70 years in one neighborhood. Some of us will, but not all of us. And the truth is, for those people that are receiving that letter, they're not going to be around 70 years later. So they're being told that you know, their children's children will be saved and brought back to Jerusalem. So what that means is that they were called to invest in their neighborhood, invest in their city, so that their children's children would benefit. That as we're here, we know that we, I won't be able to be here for another 70 years unless the Lord grants me life to 103 But we want to be able to have the kind of impact that sees our neighborhood, not just for my girls, but for my girls' kids, for generations past, recognizing that if we can impact people now, that that can bless a thousand generations, as Exodus talks about, for those who love and obey and trust God. And so in my previous church, um, the vision was to see a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ in every home in the valley and beyond. And so part of that vision and one of the ways in which they enacted it was that they started this program called Kaleidoscope Project. And in Kaleidoscope, it was this idea of being able to see the needs of our city, of our community. And there were low-income families that were working with mostly single moms. Um, And so what the idea was is what if, as a church, we sponsored after school tutoring, and they get help with their homework, they get help uh, just having a mentor, someone who's older who would pour into them, that the moms or the dads or the families would know that between the hours of you know, three and six that there would be someone who cares for their kids, and that those kids, elementary school, would be able to think about in the future, you know, I remember when my family was, was having a really rough time, and you know who was there for me? The church. You know who had an impact on my life, even though I may not have even known it at the time? 
The church. You know who changed our neighborhood? The church. And so for us to be able to see that we have the ability to impact for generations upon generations. And I know Pastor Dan was up here and he was sharing about the Hume Lake fundraiser. That's an incredible way in which you can invest in the next generation by being a part of the fundraiser, by inviting people, by seeing donations, because by impacting our students now, that impacts the city for the next 70 years. Because we won't be there. And maybe not even they will be there, but their kids will be there. And to have that impact that will have a lasting, lasting legacy. And so that's one way of many. And that's why children's ministry and youth ministry are so vital. Because that previous vision of our church, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ at my previous church that said, um, a fully devoted follower in every homeless valley and beyond, Who's to say that it doesn't take a first grader at a low-income house or it doesn't take a high school sophomore that can be that one person that can change their home and change their neighborhood for Christ? So that's why youth ministry and kids ministry is so vital. Now, those are five quick things that we see from those six, seven verses in Jeremiah 29. But let me, let me take back a little bit. You know, I started the sermon sharing about the idea of when I was on the sidelines and didn't get any game action. Uh, I was wearing my bright white uh, Bellarmine Bells uniform. Now, are there any, are there any uh, hockey fans in here? Any hockey fans? Thank you, Dan. God bless you. Um, so a few of us here, this is a, this is a, um, about representative of the, of the culture, not as many fans of hockey, but going to a live hockey game is unreal. I know Dan got to go uh, a few nights ago. It was great. Um, anyways, uh, my friend, his name's Martin Moody. I've grown up with him. I, I, uh, literally, he's three weeks older than me. We grew up together. Uh, he and his now wife, I married them um, down in San Diego a few months ago. He has been what they called uh, an e-bug, which means emergency backup goalie. Um, and so an emergency backup goalie is someone that um, he has kind of worked in the San Jose Shark system because we're up there. So he's been like leading youth camps. He's a goalie. So what this means is that in the NHL, there are only two roster spots for goalies on each team. There's the starter and the backup. Makes sense, right? But what happens when the starter needs an appendectomy? What happens when a starter is sick? What happens when that happens? Well, then the, the backup is there, but they need to have someone to come in and to be the emergency backup goalie, the e-bug. Well, my friend has been an e-bug a couple times. Um, he's never gotten game action, but he was dressed in the various uniforms, and it's a, such a cool, cool thing. Now, with that being said, these e-bugs have various degrees of experience. So I read a story that 10 days ago, there was an e-bug uh, emergency backup goalie. His name was Scott Foster. He's a 36-year-old accountant that had played college hockey 14 years ago. And he knew he was asked because they, the, the top goalie couldn't make it, the backup goalie, they just needed to have someone there in case something happened. And so Scott Foster shows up and he's dressed up as the Chicago Blackhawks uniform. Okay, that was confusing. Um, no, he uh, dressed up as Chicago Blackhawks and he actually got game action. He actually went in and he, played the Winnipeg Jets, and he blocked all seven shots that were at him. Scott can't hear us, but you can clap if you want. Um, but here's the point, that 
He, imagine, imagine being someone on the sideline. Imagine being someone who's a 36-year-old accountant trying to get through tax season right now, and all of a sudden gets asked, hey, can you play goalie and be ready to play goalie for the Chicago Blackhawks against the Winnipeg Jets? And then imagine getting that call, and when your number was called, he went in and he blocked all seven shots that came at him. For some of us, you're like me where I was, where I was on the sideline from playing high school football, and, and we're on the sidelines and we're not taking action. But instead, maybe God is poking and prodding and needling us right now to think of ways to get involved with the Braxis Breakfast Club, to get involved with the homeless feeding ministry, to get involved with any other local community impact events with Anne O'Rourke. Maybe to have a recognition that God has stirred a passion within you, that you have a, a, something that you want to see how God can change in this neighborhood. And maybe he's needling and poking and prodding us because it's time that our number has been called and we need to get off of the sideline and to jump into the game. That many of us are doing that, but I think many of us could do that more. And in so doing, we could be changing neighborhoods, changing our neighborhood for God's glory through taking action and so that we may see people who are far from God being brought near to God, not so that our name or our church would get the glory, but so that his name and his kingdom would be built up and he would get all the glory for all that is said and done through Pomerado Christian Church to change this neighborhood so that we might see a city on a hill that cannot be hidden and lives change, not just for our generation, not even for our kids' generation, but for our kids' kids for 70 years and beyond, that our cities, our neighborhoods would be better places because God has placed us here to have an impact that lasts beyond our lifetime and a legacy that will go on for generations. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, and I pray that um, you would stir within our hearts how to continue to be a light in this community, how to continue to see our neighborhoods for you. And God, I pray that through the various points today, that if there were areas in which we know we need to take action and no longer stay on the sidelines, but to take action, that God, we would have the courage and the boldness to follow through on what you're calling us to do. So Lord, I pray that our neighborhoods, wherever we live, would be different because you have placed us there and that we would be able to come alongside and to work incredible ways as has been done in our church's past that that would be our church's future to continue to work alongside people to see your kingdom come and your will be done and your neighborhoods around here change for your glory. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. Now this morning, uh, often after service, we, we take communion. And so this morning, as the ushers are coming forward, you know, I shared that idea of being able to wear my bright white uniform and, and how everybody else was kind of all dirty and, and messed up. That the reason that I can pick, when I picture that, what I see is this idea of someone who's been completely clean, unstained, that Jesus was completely unstained and because of, he took our burden upon him, because he laid down his life for us, we too will be able to stand in front of the kingdom, stand in heaven, being washed white as snow. Now, as these are being passed, I want to say that if you are new here, or if you don't even have a relationship with God yet, you're just trying these things out, please do not feel forced to take communion because everybody else around you is. 
Don't feel like this is uncomfortable pressure for us. Instead, recognize that for those of us that have called Jesus our Lord and we have surrendered our life to him, this is a powerful moment in which we recognize that we take the bread that represents his body that was broken and we take the cup that represents his blood that was poured out and we commune with him. We, we spend this time with him because we worship him. But if, that's, if you're not in that place, it's okay to pass that dish along and just know that that's what we're doing here. And you're in a safe place. You're in an okay place to make that decision. But this morning, we do this in remembrance of the fact that Jesus, who saw and knew that we were falling short, that he, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that while we were still in our brokenness, Christ took action. And he changed not just our neighborhood, he changed our lives and our eternity and our world. And so that we have the opportunity to recognize that we can be like Christ and change our world around us. But let us thank God over these moments that God sent Jesus to take action for an action that we could not do on our own. So we may have eternal life because Jesus lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, but was raised to a new life so you and I could have eternal life. So partake in the elements as you feel led and we'll continue with the time of a song of worship in just a couple minutes. almost made it through an entire uh, message on Jeremiah 29 without even mentioning verse 11, which is one of the most famous, uh, well-known verses that says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But for us, as we hear the context in which that has been written, it doesn't just mean that we're going to get all the things we want. It doesn't mean it's a necessarily an individualized, my personal, what I want in my life is what's going to happen. What it is in the context is that our cities, our neighborhoods, the places in which God has placed us can truly experience what prosperity is, which isn't just financial well-being or having the nicest house. It means that they can understand what true shalom, what true peace is which only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that the, the prosperity that they have goes beyond what they think the world says is prosperity, that the, the peace that they have is a peace that knows that Jesus is with us. And the hope that they have is the hope that only comes when the resurrection is personal to us, only comes when Jesus rose to new life so that we may have eternal life. So may we take Jeremiah 29, 11 as we leave today and remember that that's not just for us, that's for the neighborhoods in which he's placed us. And we have the honor and the privilege and the calling and command to be people who are changing neighborhoods. May we continue to do that as a church as we move forward in the future. God bless you all. Thank you so much for coming. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next Sunday.